Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our global community to raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients. To further support and educate our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. So David, uh, a slightly different one today. Uh, we woke up in the morning and our guest sadly was sick. So... We kind of put it out to our patrons. Does anyone want to come on and <laughs> shoot any, the breeze? Any willing victims. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and within about literally five minutes, our amazing guest, Patricia Barrera, all the way from Argentina said, sure, I'm free. I've just finished a clinic. I'm around. Yeah. And here she is. So Patricia, welcome to Inside Aesthetics. Thank you for having me. It's an honor for me. Oh, oh it's our great. pleasure to have a, a listener and a fan on, yeah. I guess. I have an important question for you, Patricia. Have you finished partying since Argentina's win of the World <laughs> Cup? Because I've got a few friends from Argentina oh. here and they are still going. So tell me how that how that yes. what that was like. Actually a lot of people are still still partying around. Yeah. It was <laughs> it was crazy. It was very emotional. I mean it wasn't for someone who had heart problems. <laughs> yeah. The matches, actually, uh, the last matches were very intense. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's worth like noting for like a lot of our Australian and maybe United States listeners, um, soccer is like, well, football is like a religion for Europe. Yeah. It's like cricket for people in India mm. or maybe like rugby or maybe even more than rugby league here in Australia. It's just... Massive it, and yeah, so it dominates yeah. life, uh, particularly for working yes. class people and yeah. your everyday man, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very. It's popular sport here. It's the number yeah. one sport in Argentina yeah. by far. Um, like, well, in the United States, also they play a lot of basketball, and you see their their rings in yeah. in in a lot of, of uh, houses. Well, here everyone has, you know, a ball, yeah. <laughs> and everyone plays. Yeah. So, it's a very popular sport, but my husband likes more rugby. But yeah. we we like yeah, we they've like got a great you guys got a great rugby sports. team as well. Do you think Lionel Messi is going to retire, or do you think he'll go again? He said he will go. He okay. will keep going. Okay, and he doesn't have he doesn't need anything else. So I know. It's I think of... I guess he can do whatever he wants. He accomplished everything he he wanted to accomplish, and yeah. I think that with the World Cup, he finished. Um, having everything he needed, and yeah. now he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, you see this a lot. <laughs> I think well, I think he will. He will keep playing, but at some point, yeah, he will. It's hard to beat what he finished on. Yeah, it's hard to beat finishing on top like that. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So, Patricia, where are you in Argentina? Can you and and explain the geography of Argentina? Because I have to admit, I need to brush up on that. <laughs> Actually, it's a very. Um, it's a big country. We have approximately 43, 46 million population. In not, it's not 
has big in population and 17 million live just in Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the rest is <laughs> all through the country, you know. Where I live, I live about six hours from Buenos Aires by car. Right. So it's approximately, uh, it's like what we call the interior of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my city, which is called Paraná, and the state it's Entre Rios. In my city, which is the capital of my state, it's approximately 1.4 million right. uh, population here. It's not a huge city, but it's not yeah. small, small. Well, uh, the Australian population is about 23 million. So you've got almost double the size of, well, we've, you've got 17 million people in Buenos Aires. So <laughs> you've almost, almost, got, you've almost got the population of Australia in one, in one city. So quite a lot of people. And what And what's the climate like? In terms, I mean, people associate, yeah, South America being quite warm, and and so what, yeah, yeah. Here, where I am in in Entre Rios, it's from where I am. It's very warm. Our winter, it's one month, two months, and it's not as bad as in the south. In the south, it's very cold. Uh, we have all the climates because it's a long country. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the north, you get like more warm weather and if you go to the south of argentina you have uh it's very cold so it depends where you live you have a lot of climate to choose yeah. in yeah. the country where i am it's more it's very warm so i i live in a city that it's right beside the river and i love to fish and yeah. i go to i do south and we we enjoy very much the river yeah, we. I love the river, uh, but it depends where you live. You have all the climates, and we have a long summer. Yeah, yeah we enjoy from September maybe till April. Okay, we enjoy a nice weather. And in and in terms of where the people are from, in terms in terms of ethnicity, when you look at the South American region, Argentina is quite unique in that it has a huge European influence a lot of people from italy a lot of people from that region of the world whereas you know say mexico or brazil you don't really have the same kind of you know percentage of you of european and blood that's come in there so can you talk to us a little about sort of the different ethnicities and the aesthetics of, of people in that region yes well one of the things that we i noticed because i used to live in the in the united states and it's very different here most of the people um are Italian descendants yeah, yeah. most of the of the of the population, and we don't have a lot of like the ethnicity. Like um, we are more like European. And one of the I, I'm laughing because one of the of the the Washington Post put a, an article about the the players that we didn't have. Um, we don't have like uh, the race. Yeah. We don't have. A lot of people from Africa. We we don't here. We we don't. Um, so there was this article where they said, but we don't have that immigration here. We don't have diversity. We have few people from Africa. It's most from from Europe, but you know, and in the United States you have more people from maybe you see more from Asian that we don't have here just for tourists you have seen you see a lot of ethnicities in Buenos Aires doing tourism but not not to live here so most is from Europe and um so we don't have a lot of people who who migrate like in the United States mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting and 
maybe you can talk to yeah. us a little bit later about your approach to injecting, you know, that, that particular, I guess, face and ethnicity. Tell us about your background. So you're a doctor and you were born in Argentina, but where did you train? And I gather that you, you at one point you might have moved to America, but obviously you didn't move. So tell us about your, your story. Okay, so I did I did my high school in Concord, New Hampshire, and then I went back here to Argentina to, to my med school. And when I finished, I wasn't sure to go back to America or stay here. So I started doing my USMLE. But then, well, life went on and I chose the love of my life with my husband. Hmm. And I had been with him since 21 years ago. So I moved back. And I started doing surgery. I trained for surgery for approximately general surgery for a year. And then I decided in 2009, I did my first post-degree study on aesthetic medicine. And I really liked it. And that's when I decided I wanted to do that full time. And I wasn't going to go for surgery. And most of my colleagues said, what <laughs> you know <laughs> what are you going to do it's like aesthetic medicine here by 2009 wasn't seen very good yeah. to do i don't know if you understand uh, what i mean like it was like a specialty that it's even nowadays it's not recognized yes and i'm i'm fighting with another physicians uh to make it a specialty because we need regulations and then I started I started to do my career. I did four post-degree, um, and now I am in my fourth degree, uh, post-doctorate. So I'm going to have six years in total just in aesthetic medicine. And besides that, I train, you know, how most of aesthetic medicine here train, like doing different courses and learning. So... When I decided to do aesthetic medicine, I felt alone. That's what I felt. I didn't have an association. I didn't have where to ask. It was kind of like each doctor that decided to do aesthetic. And if you weren't a dermatologist or if you weren't a plastic surgeon, it was like you were by yourself. Yeah. And by then, you, um, you had to start studying by yourself and making your own way. So nowadays, I, I just signed last year as the president of an asso state association of mm. aesthetic medicine doctors. And we are fighting at the national level, too, to make it a specialty. So physicians who want to do aesthetic medicine don't need to feel like we did back way back. You know what I mean? By yourself. And you need to know where to go and study and to know if uh, an institution it's it's good what it brings because anyone can give you a course. And sometimes it's very hard to, to know which one is good for your career and which one is not, or how to study. So it's important to have this regulated. That's fantastic. And so did you say you're the president of this association? Yes, the actually it's uh, now it's in, it's, it's not done the, the legal paperwork mm -hmm. which says we have it in different departments yeah. and we are waiting for that to be done to be able to go public and have been able to associate people from our state to be part of an association to have 
maybe, you know, webinars and, and guidelines. And, you know, until now, everyone is by itself. And yeah. since like a couple of years, we are trying to make that difference because mm. other specialties are already well, uh, uh, you know, uh, they have associations and they have guidelines and aesthetic medicine, it's no one's. Yeah, it's uh, exactly the same with every guest we've spoken to, David. <laughs> it's it's kind of reassuring that it's not just us, we're, we're but all, it's also terrifying that it's the same problem everywhere. We're all as lost and clueless as each other. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously we don't know the nuances of, of, of Argentina and the law, but what are the barriers that you're facing? What Who is saying no or, or why can't it be recognised? Well, actually, it's, it's complex. It's... Um, maybe a mix of politics interest, it's it's kind of complex. So that's an upper level. We're going to to we are going to finish get what we want, but it's going to take a while. So what I what I think it's I am passionate about my work and I want patients to be able to go to someone capable of giving that result. Of giving it, you know, a good result from the here just uh, physician inject, and since last year, uh, some dentists have the permission, but we don't have, as other countries, a lot of professionals who, who can inject. Uh, so what we want is the patient to be sure that it's going to someone who it's capable of doing a good work and not, you know, whoever it's. It's a specialty that it's very difficult to regulate. Of course. So from our place, what we are doing is we are doing the association because if the, we want the government to regulate it. But until that happens, the patient can come to association and have at least a list of physicians who are well-trained, who can do their job, and who they can go without having doubts about the person who is going to inject them. Mm. Can, can I ask a question maybe on David's behalf, because he said this before. Um, we want regulation here in Australia, just like many countries, because of the same problems. We want patients to be safe, and we also want to be recognised as professionals and not a joke, you know. If everyone is allowed to inject without any level of standard, you know, you can be critiqued yourself. But at the same time, if you give the government that control... Mm. Sometimes it's not done how, how we want, how we think it should be done, because we're the ones who've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years. So is there a risk that your life or your, maybe even what you're allowed to do, changes? Maybe, but we need to regulate. What my point is, maybe, or what I would like to do, it's the government needs to have an association that makes them know that they don't know they just need to regulate. It's not my job to regulate that, you know? But if they regulate, I, we as an association, we can work with them mm. to let them know what the standards should be. Mm. Okay. So that hopefully, at some point, um, we will be able to, to balance that. Yeah. Because here, it's crazy. Anyone, like, you go to a, maybe a gym and they are doing lasers there. Mm. at the gym I mean and you're like that's a medical device 
And so we have a huge problem here. Uh, We are a little bit behind in other countries with injectables, Mm. but we are starting to see a lot of complications also Mm. with injectables. And so even with with physicians. So it's important to start standardizing and letting you know them know how the way should be to get to a certain point of professionalism and be able to really give the patient on the patient's best interest. Mm. So who, who is injecting in Argentina? So you've got plastic surgeons, you've got dermatologists, you've got cosmetic physicians. Do you have nurses? And then what? No. Uh, no nurses? No uh, nurses. Nurses are not allowed to inject, at least uh, here, fillers um, or Botox. No, they are not. Uh, just uh, the ones that now are allowed to inject are dentists. Dentists also are allowed now to mm-hmm. inject. But it's very new. I think last year they started more um, like to get into it. And, and Argentina is very tough society. So uh, it's very hard for someone who is a nurse to be able to inject here. It's 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 hard. It's very close society. So, but at the same time, uh, people sometimes w- sometimes go and inject themselves with someone who they don't know. You know what studies they have, mm. and then the problems comes. I mean, it sounds like from what you're saying, and and we agree as well that you can be a doctor, dentist, whoever, but. Your title doesn't give you the qualification to inject. Exactly. It's understanding exactly. what I you're am, doing. I am passionate about what, what I do. And I always think that injecting, it's like, uh, and, and I always said, injecting, it's it easy to just inject someone. Like you learn the technique and you go and inject. But you need to be a physician first. And you need to, you know, have a lot of, of study different studies it's not just going to a course and that's what happened to me in 2011 my first injectable course i did it in boston in massachusetts and we were taught to inject the nasolabial fold with you know superficially with a needle yeah and and the tear through also with needles (laughs) and superficially so um nowadays we know so much information and we have so many scientific studies that I wish I had them when I started. So now there's no excuse sometimes to do some things. And, and you have a lot of um, different uh, tools to be able to do what's right and to do it right. But you need to know all the, the, the different stages and learn the correct way to get to that point. It's not just what I always said, when you're a physician and you go to like here, I, I talk about physicians because we are all physicians here who inject and you go to a course and they tell you, oh, you need to, to do this. Uh, Mark here, just go supraperiostical inject. You need to ask yourself, is that correct? Yeah. In which layer is it? Do I agree with that technique? It's what you have to always ask why and how things happen. It's not just a matter of learning something and go to your to your office and do it. I totally agree. You have to know what you are injecting, why you are injecting it, and how to resolve the complication if you have one. Hmm. And I usually say you everyone likes to drive cars. I usually put this example, but if you don't know how to fix the tire, 
then when you have a problem, you will have so much problem to, you know, fix. You don't need to know how to fix everything, but you need to know the basics. Yeah. And you need to know where to go when something is more complicated to be able to keep going. Yeah. And not just go and then someone takes care of whatever I do. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, well, it's like driving a car. Anyone can push the pedal and turn the wheel, but navigating traffic, parking, dealing with narrow streets. Emergency stops. <laughs> emergency stop, wet <laughs> roads. Yeah, all those variables. So um, let's rewind a little bit. So you you studied medicine. Um, you, got in, you looked to get into the cosmetic industry when it was very much in its infancy. But what was your motivator? Like what was it that went off in your mind that – prompted you to go down this path? Because it sounds like it was very much in its infancy. There wasn't a lot of support. There wasn't really anyone to follow. So that's a pretty brave move. So what 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 happened in your mind that, that made you go down that, that path? I started uh, general surgery thinking about plastic surgery. Okay. Um, then I when, when I started uh, the residency, I also started to learn about aesthetic medicine. And I started uh, traveling to Buenos Aires to study in a post degree. And, and when I started getting into that, I said, I like much more this because I have a connection with the patient different than surgery. Um, and surgery here in Argentina, at least by 2009, also was, we are from, it's like kind of like more field. Now we are seeing more women, more women in, in, in surgery. But by that time, we were two. In the service, two wow, women, just two. <laughs> All the service were men. So, but that that wasn't what made my decision. What made my decision was, I'm passionate about this. I think I will be very happy doing this. But also, I was going to drop something that I knew was a path for for sure. That I already knew what was going to happen if I go the surgical way. So it was a hard decision. And luckily by then, I had my husband now that he support me. And he said, um, I want you to be happy. And I said, this is what makes me happy. So I'm going to go for it. And that's when I decided that's what I wanted to do. And even if at first a lot of doctors didn't like it, I I didn't care because it was what I liked. Yeah. And... And I, with the time, I got to get a relationship with my patients over the years. I have patients who call me now. Maybe I haven't seen them for five, six years or bring me their daughters. And for me, it's very rewarding. Yeah, I think you we know? can all so, agree with that as injectors. Um, the things that you're, or, or, or the general population, what, what is their taste what is their aesthetic you know we know that they're european background a lot of italian influence but would you say it's a generally conservative um you know taste compared to say other tastes that you've seen maybe in the states like what are people asking or brazil for? Or yeah, or brazil. <laughs> yeah for sure yeah oh colombia yeah they consume a lot in brazil here i think it depends on the age of the patient maybe mm. New generation, they are asking for more procedures. When I started injecting in 2011, I had to convince the patient to get a filler. Yeah. Now, people go into your office and tell, I want the nose, the jawline. <laughs> they ask you for it right away. They know what they come from. Like, 
years ago, I had to convince the patient yeah. mm. to make a procedure like that. And we checked without hyaluronic So that was terrible. But uh, nowadays, I think it's a matter here in my society, which is like where I work, it's different than Buenos Aires, but it's still the same ethnicity. I think younger patients are consuming more than maybe more mature patients. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a matter of culture too. And you have both. You have some some patients that go for it, like even at the 40s, 50s, 60s, another patient who are very skeptical. Mm. And they said, because I see all this in the media, I don't want to end up like this. Yeah. So I think at a matter of work, it all depends on the relationship that you have with your patient. Yeah. When a patient comes to me and I said, I'm going to inject this and I have the, the conversation about the fillers and I tell them all the complications that they can have. They look at me sometimes and they said, I believe you, it's okay. So it's like they, they have a trust in me and they know how I work. Even if I explain to them and I make them read everything as it needs to be done, they trust me. So that's why they do the procedure. So it's a big, it's a, a big responsibility for the physician to be trust and to have a good relationship with your patients to be able to work. So then maybe someone who didn't want fillers before, they end up having fillers because it's what they need and what I I talk, I, I am telling them and you know, educating them how much and you know, you have is a pathway. Hmm. Um, in aesthetics but I don't do just fillers I do a lot of things so um, Botox is much easier uh, toxins, sorry Botox is for whatever um, it's much easier maybe to do than fillers in, in conservative population I, I was going to ask you, you you were talking about in the early days you had to convince patients to get fillers because there wasn't a lot of education and there were some cultural barriers there as well We've now got a younger generation who are a lot more educated in, in this. They've grown up with these being quite normal and part of part of everyday life. So do you find that difficult sometimes? Because on one hand, you've got the commercial reality of the business and obviously it's great, you know, money-wise and you've got patients coming in who are bringing this wish list. But sometimes they're educated but not quite educated enough. They might be asking for treatments that you don't think are suitable for their face or their age or you know, a number of factors. So how, how do you navigate that? And do you think that in some respects it's, it can be quite difficult for a physician, particularly one that maybe is not as experienced to push back on some of these patients that are demanding or telling you what to do? It's like going into a restaurant and telling the chef exactly how you want your meal prepared. And, you know, it's, it's a difficult one because I understand patients, you know, need to be able, it's great that they're educated, but it does present a challenge. So what do you think about that? And, and how do you sort of combat those types of patients that potentially sometimes put injectors in a difficult position? I think that you should tell them the truth always. And you should, if you think something you shouldn't do, you, you don't do it. That's what I think. And if if the same way, the other way, like sometimes you you want to do something and the patient doesn't want you to do the something, those treatments, don't do it. Mm. Like if you think the best treatment for the patient is 
a filler and the patient doesn't want to get a filler, don't do it because you're going to have trouble. So um, I always like, I, I respect the patient, but if I don't feel comfortable doing something because I know it's not going to work, I don't do it because it's my, it's my name and it's, I'm, I'm taking care of the patient. So I explain to the patient and I give them other choices and, and usually I, I don't have any problem. But it's not, this is not a supermarket. Yeah, agreed. And, and people need to, to know that. I mean, it's an assessment. You are a physician. It's not like, I, I have seen people like filled with a lot of needles and a lot of milliliters and they don't even know what can go wrong. And I don't, ne- I never inject someone if I don't tell them before everything that can happen. Because if I tell a patient that I'm going to do a leap you know, voluminization, and it's going to take me 20 minutes or 15 minutes, and that's it. And I have an occlusion. How am I going to explain to that patient that that patient needs to be three hours in my office, that I need to dissolve whatever I did, that she's going to have hematomas, bruising, and, and she might get edema and everything. So I put that beforehand. I explain to the patient, and usually nothing happens. But all my patients knows that blindness it's a complication and it's possible it's very very rare but it's like taking an aspirin you read the the only difference is that i am doing it to the patient so like if you take an aspirin and something happens and you didn't read the it's okay but it's something a procedure i'm doing so the patient needs to know everything that can go wrong usually nothing happens but the patient needs to sign a consent a consent form so in that way, I I avoid a lot of problems, and usually nothing happens. The other complications is rare. It's not something like I stopped injecting for a while um, because I wasn't sure what was going on. Like before 2016, uh, we injected and there was no anatomy on the face. Hmm. We had no vessels <laughs> there were no arteries we just marked and inject and it was like supposed to be something natural and and nothing was going to happen and then in 2016 i went to a um, wc in monaco and i started seeing that 80 percent were complications so it's what i did is i stopped injecting not obviously because i didn't want to experiment on my patients but i i believe um, knowing you are not going to know everything, but you need to know what to do and you need to be prepared when something happens. Because when you start injecting and you start injecting every single day and you start injecting more, there's a point that you're going to have a complication. Of course. You might not, but you might. So you have to be prepared. It's not to make people scared, but you need to be prepared. So that's why I I joined uh, CMAT, which is uh, an association that um, specializes and guides through complications. And you learn about complications and you learn your anatomy and then you inject. And I also have an ultrasound, so <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed. <laughs> but um, the secret is to, to be truth, truthful to the patient. Not 
tell them, oh, this is a 20-minute thing. And then people go and say, I want to do my lips and I want to look like this person. So each individual is different. And you need to have that conversation with your patient. I think what you've done very nicely there is essentially demonstrate that it's not just about learning a technique of injecting, like you said at the start, but it's about being a medical professional or a doctor or a nurse, whoever you are, and showing your experience to do informed consent. Informed consent means the patient needs to know all the pros, all the cons, all the alternatives, and the ability to say no if it doesn't suit them. So this is a process. This is a relationship between you know an injector and a patient. And if those two things don't align, then it's okay either way for the doctor or the patient to say, this isn't for me today. And I don't think patients fully understand that. I think they think this is still very transactional. I've given you the money, I should get the lips. That that's often the the attitude of the patient. And, you know, it, it's worth for an injector to have the confidence to say, I take it on the chin, I know you're upset, but at the end of the day, this isn't for you today. And I, I think you said that quite clearly. Yeah, sometimes when you do an assessment and the patient wants something like lips, and lips usually for me takes a couple of, like if I need to go from a small leap to a big leap, I explain them I'm not going to do it in one session. Yeah. And and I have this conversation, but if that leap that the patient wants is not suitable for the face, mm. uh, but I usually, like here in my city, they know how I work. So people are not going to come for me for these big <laughs> leaps because they know my work. Yeah. I'm very conservative. I like normal, like, results and i think lips you need to go you can go to work and you need to go to a funeral you can wear your lips i don't like huge lips so they are not going to come for me for that but if they do uh and i said this is not for me i know they're going to go to someone else and find yeah someone else who does it for them yeah you know uh but i'm not going to do something that it's not what i believe in and it's not something that i believe is not going to look good on someone's face because it's their presentation. Yeah, definitely. And it's so I'm I prefer to say no than to do something that I'm not comfortable doing. Uh, that's you never have to do things for money because we're physicians first. Absolutely. And you have like you have your way of working and people know that. So people come to you because they know how you work. Like yeah. I here in my state, I don't use a lot of Instagram because people don't come for me because of my post in Instagram. So you have to make your own name and your own brand of what you like to do. And if it's something that you're not comfortable doing, then don't do it. I completely agree. And and oppositely, if you are that injector who does amazing lips, then great, then you will get those patients. But, you know, if you have another way of doing things, brand yourself properly and 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 really stand by your principles because you will develop your own practice that way. I wanted to shout out actually CMAC or the Complications in Medical Aesthetic Collaborative. They they started in the UK, but they've sort of gone global now. Um, so our friends Lee Walker, Gillian Murray, Cormac McConvery, uh, they're all on the board. But I believe, I think I've got this right, Patricia, that you actually found out about us or our Patreon program having attended CMAC, I remember a message from you and you said, hey, I've seen you do a talk because I did a talk and um, and I'm now a patron. It was really nice. Yes, I actually, I started um, 
following you because Gillian, I, 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 Gillian posted or some decades posted that he was going and I found that. And then after I saw you in London, um, I messaged you and then I find out I didn't know about the Patreon until when I messaged you in London, but yeah. I, I listened to you before. Oh, okay. And, and, and I, then I realized you have the Patreon, but CMAC, it's something that it's very, I, I am very involucrated in, in CMAC. I really like it. And I think physicians or injectors and needs to know that it's not just about complications because people, when you set a complication group, you think it's just going, they are just going to talk about vascular events or delay onset nodules that, I mean, it's rare, but when you have it, it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> the delay also no, it's not that easy. So um when I went to London to the conference, I realized, and I have seen this before, uh, that it's not just about learning how to treat the complication, but also they what you are seeing is you have to adapt your technique sometimes to what is starting to be seen now. Yeah. So if you know that's the complication happens in a way, or for example, ultrasound has given us so much information that we didn't have before. And with the new devices that are small and you don't need the hospital device, it's going to make a huge change in our specialty. And as Tom Decade says, and I always quote this, um, the stethoscope as the doctor and the cardiologist it's almost the same as the ultrasound for the aesthetic injector yeah it definitely has it's it's growing curve you know you have to learn about it it's not like a picture yeah. and it's all gray <laughs> but it's it's giving you a lot of information for example in in london they present um the masseter muscle, for example, everyone knows that it has a deep tendon and 70% they present all uh, scientific-based medicine. That is how I like to study. And they present like 70%, they present this study, 70% of the population has a deep tendon that covers most of the muscle. So if you do, do your toxin very deep and you miss the superficial um, muscle, superficial uh, fibers of the masseter muscle, then you might have bulging yeah. that you see it in 18% of the cases. And you can then put toxin in the bulging, but you're going to have your patient to come back. And so to avoid that, uh, you can scan the patient with ultrasound, see how, what type of tendon do you, does the patient has in nine percent they have a tendon in the two-third posterior of the muscle and 20 percent in the two-thirds of the anterior part of the muscle so you can go with the ultrasound see what kind of tendon the patient has and inject or knowing that that is possible in the 70 percent of your patients adapt your technique and do a retro injection so you get both assets of the muscle yeah so it's more than just complications. You know, they talked about eyelid ptosis, superior eyelid ptosis, and the technique for eyelid ptosis, which was very interesting. 
uh, Dr. Weiner, that I am fan of Dr. Weiner, <laughs> he presented interfacial uh, technique in the temporal fossa with ultrasound guided. Then he talked about protocols, different protocols for blindness, which was very interesting uh, because we all know that usually the retrovul vulvar injection and what it's described, usually the only part of the artery that can absorb the hyaluronidase before going into the dura, the, the dura, it's three millimeters. So we are putting, you know, the, the hyaluronidase retrovulvar to be absorbed by three millimeters and it's not going to happen. So it's, it's very interesting how he approached that protocol. So it's not just, just complications, but based on what is starting to see. Yeah. And there's a study um, that Papa Dopoulos did. Like he tried, he did like kind of like a pilot study and he clamped uh, an artery in abdominoplasty that was going to take out. And he put the hyaluronidase around it. He blocked the, the artery that is similar to the ophthalmic artery uh, on size. And he put hyaluronic acid in it and put hyaluronidase around and nothing happened. And then and he injected inside. And that's when it dissolved the hyaluron, hyaluron acid, hyaluronic acid. Yeah. So what it makes you think is the Lorenzi protocol, which is very well written, it's in cadaveric studies. So uh, is it the same in vivo? I mean, in the living human being that in cadaveric? So it's all about science and it's all about questioning things. And so it's so interesting well, it, because it's not... It, sorry, I was going to say, it, yeah. goes, it goes back to what you said right at the start. It's the why. It's not the how, it's the why. And, you know, we all learn... I don't know, techniques and, and, and we sort of learn this dogma, uh, about what you should or shouldn't do. And yet sometimes you have to go away and scratch your head and go, I'm not sure about that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go and read about it more or find some papers. And, you know, obviously I'm not saying experiment on your patients, but sometimes you have to try things or little tweaks yourself to see if it's actually mm -hmm. true or not. Um, like the, the Lorenzi protocol, it's going to change with ultrasound. We, yeah. we, we now can see the arteries, or, or sometimes and we can. It's not easy, mm. but it's going to change it's how we practice. Leone, Leone has protocols that he went and put it up there for, for ultrasound guided also, like you said. Mm. And you use much less hyaluronidase. It's not easy, but we have that, and you can learn about it, and I learn about adverse events and yep. why they happen and, and and how to you know and you have to know the angiosomes and so the the CIMA conference was incredible um you, like doctors and all these sectors learn so much and it's not just complications but at some point dr weiner he he explains and it's everything it's all the 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 things that were given at the conference they are up in the in their page and mm. CMAC. And he he ex he talked about that, for example, if you work in the ophthalmic angiosome, uh, 20 to 30% of patients uh, lost their vision because of glaucoma and it has nothing to do with fillers. And patients doesn't know it. Mm. Yeah. So if you work in the angiosome, in the ophthalmic angiosome, 
you might want to check the site before doing something. I don't know. It's it, and like this fact is like a lot of different facts that came out in this um, conference, different than the one we are used to go. Yeah. So mm. that was very very interesting. They presented techniques for how to inject the DAO without ultrasound and trying to avoid the DLI and then how to inject the mentalis in the best, safest way. And so it's not just going and learn about complications. Mm. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. I guess from an outside, I'm, I'm obviously involved in the industry from a, from a business perspective more so than anything else. But I, I, something that I've noticed across a lot of disciplines, whether it be law, medicine, archaeology, astronomy, any, any of those, th this, this concept of dogma which you brought up, Jake, is very dangerous because I think we can very easily get caught in these echo chambers. And, you know, if anyone doesn't know what an echo chamber is, it's sort of like you're in, in a group of people or in a situation where your thoughts are echoed and your beliefs are echoed by the people around you. So you continue to hear the same things over and over again. And I think it's, you know, this whole concept of, you know, follow the science, mm. you know, which was, you know, spoken about a couple of years ago relating to the pandemic, which was obviously a very stressful time in everyone's lives. But I think it's important that we seek out people's opinions who we disagree with to question everything that we're doing, because what we know today will be proven or disproven later on down the track. And human beings are very arrogant, particularly professionals who are experts in their field who don't continue to question themselves, who think that they know everything. And you only have to look back five, 10 years about all the things we've been wrong about. And I think that's just, I wanted to raise that point for anyone listening is, you know, question yourself, seek out people's opinions who disagree with you, talk to them, engage with them. Maybe you might learn something, maybe you were right, maybe you taught them something, but it's a very dangerous trap that we, you know, as professionals can fall into. And, and you sort of, you know, you, you build this sort of world around you of, of you know, this mythology <laughs> around you and you, you're never wrong. And I think that that's something that we need to do you know, all be mindful of really. Definitely. And if I could actually add a question onto that for Patricia, yeah. um, I guess the, the pointy end of that chat that you yeah. just said is Instagram and yeah. social media, <laughs> because Patricia, you, you said yourself, you don't tend to use social media too much, uh, particularly for showing results and things. That's fair enough. Maybe the culture is different there, but there are a lot of quite well-known injectors. And I don't mean myself in this who have very strong views about many things, confillers lift and migration and whatever, uh, you know, taste and style. Do you think that's the right way of discussing our specialty? I think it's, um, it depends on the profile of the professional. Um, I think a lot of professionals, I do follow a lot of professionals who, who use this Instagram to teach or to mm to put their point of view on the table. But I believe that you have to, we are making facts or our own opinions. So what it works for me as a professional is you need to learn as much as you, you can. I don't, if it's science, obviously it's through scientific work, but if someone puts something in Instagram, maybe they put a scientific work, you can use it to go look for that work and read it. And you have to read and learn as much as you can and then have your own pathway and your own opinion and, you know, make your own way of doing things and yeah. know why. And I mean, and that's, that's the key. I mean, I don't think um, what we see in Instagram is all true. Uh, and here in Argentina, where I live, it's small cities. So I sometimes 
don't want to expose the patient. Everyone knows here all the faces. So sometimes I'm very careful with that. Um, even if the patient says to me, it's okay to put, put the, the picture, I always ask before posting because of the privacy of the patient. Yeah. And I believe that it's um, very important, at least where I where I work. But I, I think social media, it's, it has its good things and it has its bad things. And you don't believe everything you see in Instagram, but I mm. do believe that people who educate you, if you want, you grab what they said and it's their point of view and it's okay. And it doesn't have to be yours. Um, we as professionals need to debate. Yeah. We don't discuss like Tom Lee Walker says. Lee mm. Walker says, we don't discuss, we, we debate. And you, it's okay to have a different point of view. Yeah. If you don't believe uh, feelers lift and you, uh, or you question that, it's okay. We are doctors, we need to question things. Mm. So, uh, and that is something that, you know, that's the, the, the feeler really lifts or it expands. And that's why the skin changes position. Yeah. So we need to, we are made, our profession needs to make us question things. And we are learning a lot. So things that we are doing today, it might change in a year. Because now you can see with ultrasound that you have backflow of the filler. Yeah. And we didn't know that before. And now you know that if you place the filler that sometimes you can see that uh, some injectors that might not know, they put the cannula and they think they are super periostical, but they are over this mass yeah. and they inject over this mass and this mass gets problem afterwards because it, it can sometimes it, no, but if you have a null in this mass, it can redistribute. They they discuss in, in London about redistribution and migration of the filler. Uh, it redistributes and it, this mass is all connected. So it might go to another place than where the original injector thought it was put. And that's a great example of you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't check with an ultrasound, for example, or even just have the insight to question, was I right the first time? What happens is people go on Instagram, we'll use that example again, and they will say, it's the filler that's the problem. Or, um, you know, filler migrates and it decides to do what it wants and it went from the bone to the superficial layer or so on. And you just get these sort of crazy rabbit hole arguments where in reality it was just put in the wrong place in the first place. Mm. And yet... And it's okay, we are human. Yes, and you it's okay, have, exactly. Like, it's okay to be wrong. The, what it's not okay, it's to, to disappear when things get wrong. Yeah, That's not okay. You are, you are a professional. You cannot have someone who has the problem and don't answer. That is wrong. You can have problems. We are human. We are learning. And and that's what I what I said. What I usually said, if you have something wrong, it can happen. Like CK4, nobody knew that the injection inside the parotid, you will expect it will hurt. And now we are seeing that it doesn't hurt sometimes. And with ultrasound, you find filler inside the parotid gland. Because, you know, it's very hard to be very superficial sometimes. Mm. Depends on the cannula you use, depends on the technique. But uh, now Leoni just published last year that they found very commonly filler inside the parotid gland. 
And it's okay, we didn't know before. So you can adapt and say, okay, I'm going to be more careful. Yeah. Can I ask you, obviously very pro ultrasound and, you know, I am too, but I, I don't want to sort of wage this war where I'm flying a flag almost on my own because it's still quite new here in Australia. But w- why do you think there is quite a little bit, well, quite a lot of resistance? You, you know, I, I've been to conferences where Leone or Stella or whoever's on stage and you can sort of look around and you can see the crowd going, ah, ah, ultrasound's rubbish. Mm. and ah, I don't want to learn that. And, ah, it, it, there seems to be a lot of that attitude. What, what's, what's your view on that? I think that when you tell someone who has been injecting for 15, 20 years and never had a problem to let, to tell them, okay, go buy an ultrasound, spend this much money, which is depending on the country. It's not that much, but it still it's money. And you have, you're going to be like one hour or more with the patient. And the physician is like, I'm not going to do it. I never had a problem. If I had a problem, I call someone else or I see what I do. And it's understandable because it's, it takes you time, but it's part of growing. Yeah. It's part of, of being able to, for me, it's hard. I'm learning. I'm learning a lot. And I hope sometimes I can learn with Yoni. I'm, I'm, but, um, it's, it's hard because it's more easy to see the vascularity because you put the ultrasound, you see color, even you don't need to know, like, if it's a vein or an artery, you know how to distinguish that. And then you learn. But if you see vessels, just don't go there. <laughs> so that it's easier to do than to find a no filler, mm. for example. To find a no filler, you have to know a little bit more. But anyway, you need to know the anatomy from another perspective. And if you are injecting a lot and someone, well, my recommendation would be get an ultrasound, start learning, and then use it in all your patients. Use it in the patients that are more, you know, nasolabial folk, for example. We have seen arteries that are supraperiostical, where the injection is supposed to go. So just two minutes, put the ultrasound, see if you have an artery. I mean, the the angular artery is very big. You will see it. So they're like small things that you can adapt to the practice, not to be that much time with the patient, but it's it's the resistant because it takes you out of the comfort zone. Yeah. Mm. Completely out. It's like I'm learning something that I've never seen before. You're a complete I, beginner again. Yeah. So it's it's like learning from zero. <laughs> I again. think yeah. I, I think a lot of people are pushing back and because they don't want to go through the effort of learning. It's like learning a new language. It's like you've been speaking English your whole life and then someone says, you have to go and learn Spanish. It's like, okay, for you, Patricia, could you speak Spanish and English? But bad example, (laughs) potentially. But I mean, but I think that what uh, my question would be, what's the downside of having it? They cost five to $10,000 when you think about how much money people spend on fit out, stock, you know, outfits they might be wearing on the weekend, holidays they're going on, um, marketing campaigns for your business. Like what is actually the downside of having an ultrasound? I mean, look, at some point, who knows, but I I could be wrong, but it's probably going to be the gold standard at some point. And then maybe it'll be superseded by something else. It's like I can reverse park my car without a camera. I did that for like the first 20 years of my driving, (laughs) but I'm a better parker now. And I know I'm not going to back over a toddler that might be out of my eyesight. Yeah. Because I have a reverse camera. So it's like, why would you not? I mean, let's take this to the worst case scenario. Let's say you're in court and yeah. you've done something horrendous to a patient. And the judge says, look, 
I'm not an expert, but we've got a panel of experts. Um, what's the best way of doing this? Did, yep. did, did you check to see if that artery thing was there? You know, you've got this ultrasound thing. Yeah. And your, your excuse is, well, it's a bit, a bit too difficult. I couldn't be bothered. Uh, yeah, I just don't think it. How would you feel if you're on a plane and your pilot decided, uh, I don't need that special radar on the plane. <laughs> I'm just going to wing it literally. And it's just. I don't, know, I don't mean to. Um, there'll be people listening going, oh my God. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm neither pro or against. I just look at what makes my life safer and better for the patient. But what is the downside? What I still don't understand. What, well, the other downside is we've said a bit it's, of time. it's difficult. Okay, but that's but your that's problem. Not, but yeah, exactly. That's your problem. You've chosen to do you, this you, job. You should There's be a technology in the that's come out that's potentially made you safer. Yeah. Then uh, I don't understand. Like, you're not going <laughs> to harm the patient by doing ultrasound on them. Yeah. There's no I risk. Totally <laughs> agree. Totally agree. And and by the way, we're not saying that ultrasound is, you know, uh, 100% proof. And I'm still learning. I think you're still learning, Patricia. Oh. Um, I actually find it easier to see the old filler than the artery personally, um, because there's a few little nuances that you have to do with the scanner. And it's not so much it's difficult, but you have to learn how to use the technology and what, what your software does. That, that That's the difficult thing. Mm -hmm. And we're still learning. So, you know, but if you can have a look. Yeah, but if you, if you do like high-risk zones, you can implement that and Correct. you will be more safe. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's how I use ultrasound. I'll, I'll scan high-risk zones. I don't, I'm not scanning the whole face, no way. It does take too long, and, and it's actually kind of illogical. If you're fanning an area with a cannula, not in one place anyway, so mm. it seems a bit silly. Yeah. Um, wanted to sort of move off topic a little bit. Um, I'm curious to know, what brands are available in Argentina, what, and what do you use? Oh, that is a problem here, because uh, we sometimes we have problem with export importation importation uh -huh. so sometimes ran out the, the the actually the company ran out of fillers and you oh, have really? to change which is not yeah oh wow yeah, that, they just run out here. so it's not very nice you have to get used to like allergen like for a long time they don't have any fillers they just have botox for example oh. we have filmet Mm -hmm. which it has a lot and i do like mesosthetics i don't know if you have mesosthetic it's a spain company i don't think so no mesosthetic what's the name of yes. the actual products Is uh, that it's a spain company but the fillers doesn't have lidocaine they don't have lidocaine okay it's just the figure and they have just three options but they are very nice um then filmed uh Belotero, Belotero. but sometimes they run out of fillers because it's complicated. It's it's a country problem with the the um, the amount of fillers that they let you get in. Yeah, interesting. Or the product or the company, so they have to choose how to redistribute that. Right, so right. It's it's kind of complicated. Sometimes you have to adapt and use whatever you have in hand. So you don't have Galderma or Tioxane. Galderma too. We have Galderma. Um, sometimes you get some fillers. Some, it's the same with all the companies. And even you get message, oh, we got fillers. So you pack <laughs> up and, and then, no, it's crazy. Yeah, we are we are used to it, but it's how it works. It's That's a very funny. Well, it's not funny. I, I remember just one time in Australia, maybe you know before oh, yeah. me, David, because you've been here forever, obviously. Um, just after the pandemic, when things went, insane after we opened up one of the brands nearly ran out of a filler and we did get a message saying uh we could be short and then we got a supply 
just as it nearly ran out. Mm. So we've never had that situation, have you? No, not really. No, there's always been there's always been plenty of products. Yeah, and, and what about toxins? Yeah, so, we, so you have Botox. Toxin, oh, I don't have problems with toxin. Toxin, I use one brand since which one do you like? I like Botox. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, but you also have Disport. I do a lot. That's, I do a lot. Where? You have Disport as well? Yes. Disport and Xiaomi. And Xiaomi. I okay. have done Xiaomi too. But uh, those are the three most known yeah. brands that we have. Mm. But I'm so used to use Botox that I never had a problem. So why I'm going to change if. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm used to it. So that's what I use since. 14 years already um yeah. and that's i do it all in the face i don't do just temporal and pterygoids but the other parts i do mm. so well, tell, tell us a little bit about your practice or your business so like where are you set up and what sort of range of treatments i'm assuming obviously you're doing toxins fillers biostimulators threads prp you know how many people yeah, have you got uh, working for you yeah. lot, and i do for anti-age and i do for hair loss um I have a very good um, results. And then I do mesotherapy. Um, there's another problem here, the, the machines problems. Um, here, machines are very, very, very expensive. So when you work in Buenos Aires, you can have certain lasers or uh, EPLs or things that they are very expensive to bring to a small place and then to have people pay for what it costs. Mm. It's another problem here. Uh, so you have to really evaluate what machines do you bring to the to the office. So, uh, and what profile do you want? Do you want people to come because of the machines you want? Or do you want to people come for what you can do with your hands? Kind of. It's like, or both. Sometimes uh, I'm doing my own clinic, which I am going to open this year. Um, but I need well, the regulations here um, doesn't let you have chairs to go up. So I had to put a lift on my clinic mm. to be able for them to make them for patients. If not, I wouldn't be able to. I had to have the construction. Um, so when when I'll have my clinic, what I'll do is I'll have some machines working and I'll do the injectables or what most of the doctors do. Uh, but until my clinic is done, I'm kind of have a small space, so I can't have, I'm going to have four offices in my clinic. So I'm going to be able to work in different places or have people working in different places. And now I am in a, uh, in an office where I have another specialist. We are a lot of doctors. Um, so I'm kind of waiting to change to be able to expand. So right now you're working on your own? Or will you be working with the team? Sorry, I, didn't, I wasn't quite clear on that. Well, actually, I am going to build a team. Yeah. Now I'm working in my own office, I, uh, but I'm going to to make a team. But I, I haven't done it because I didn't have the clinic done. Okay. And how will you so choose who's going to work there? How, like, Do you know these people already? Do you network with other injectors locally? Yes. I do have an idea. For example, I don't... Um, I did, well, I did lifestyle medicine in Harvard, which I love. So I might have someone also who takes care of that part that I've done too. So I have a physician, a friend who likes, who is doing that or anti-aging like um, um, kill, um, the therapy that, you know, supplements, intravenous. Yeah, that I like do that. Yeah. Anti-aging. 
that's something I, I would like to to bring to my patients and I don't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like um, I would like to have a physician, a general physician too. Um, because I have a lot of patients who ha- need controls. So I make them, you know, the labs and all the controls and I can already have someone to take care of that patient before doing, you know, procedures. It happened to me once in 13 years, but... Um, I had this male patient who I took the PRP out and he was like white. Oh. And I'm like, this is not okay. I did the lab before and I was doing like uh, a maintaining session and his lab was from a couple of months ago. And I said, I want, I'm not going to do this session. I want you to do a lab tomorrow. And he had 500 triglycerides. I'm like, okay, you need to take care of this first. So that's what I'm saying. You don't, it's not just numbers and it's not just you are a physician first. So that would be part of my team too. And making uh, lifestyle medicine, I also very into it. I like it. I'm very, uh, so I would like to have maybe someone who takes care of like nutritionist mm. on the team too. And then all that cosmetic work that I don't do, obviously. So I would like to have like, a more complete team yeah. that it's on your health, on your good health, mm. and not just aesthetic too. That I will do the aesthetic part. I have a physician who does the all the intimate part. That she's she's a gynecologist, right. so we're going to work together on that, and you know, make a whole team so the patient can go and have like a whole approach to mm. your health. So who's driving the, or who's going to drive the direction of the business? Uh, so I'm assuming you're injecting fairly full time. And so you're going to have all these different specialties working together and different services. So how's that going to work in terms of driving the actual business itself and the direction that it's going and growth and all of the pains that, that sort of crop up when these businesses expand and you've got multiple people? That is hard. I'm actually training someone. Right. Yeah, okay. I'm working with someone who is going to take care of that. Right. In the future, I have it. I think it's um, it has to be a very responsible person, mm-hmm. uh, and you have to trust that person mm-hmm. because it's going to run your clinic, and it's just not just being uh, someone who gives turns, you know, or appointments. It has to go beyond that, and she managed my everything she, she i'm training someone but it took me a lot of years to have someone mm. to be right my right at my side and for me to have that confidence in yeah. someone to open so she's going to be able to manage the clinic and then i'll see if i need more people working yeah yeah it, it's it's kind of for it's, that it, part for the business that you say yeah because there's so many, you know, it, it, it's, as we've spoken about so many times on the podcast, it's like that forgotten part of what it is that we do, you know, looking at who's, you know, f- analyzing your financials, looking at growth, looking at, you know, ways to improve efficiencies, looking at the way you want to market yourselves in the marketplace, looking at your patient retention, your return rates, what your average spend is per patient. Not that you want to start, you know, pushing people to sell, but just, you know, be able to forecast, look into the future, expansion looking at potential risk factors in your practice, you know, audits, secret shoppers, finding out, you know, if the experience has been consistent across all the different touch points and different practitioners within within your business, um, regulatory changes that might be coming through, new products, what you're going to offer. So there's a whole, whole other world 
And so it's really interesting having these conversations with, with, with professionals and, and trying to get an understanding of how they're going to nav- how they are navigating or how they plan to navigate and any tips you know that you may have to share along the way because it is it is quite vast. It's almost like a specialty all on its own. I've got a question actually, Patricia. Have you listened to any of our business podcasts that we've done? And, and, and I was listening to the last yes, and I was listening, but it's very different. Yeah, in, yeah. in the country than here. We here doctors are very bad at business. I am very bad, and and you know at business is not. <laughs> I don't understand, so <laughs> I have to pay for it. And at first, when I started, I pay someone to do all the marketing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started working so much that I couldn't supply the demand. Yeah. So I stopped doing marketing because I, I wasn't able to, I mean, I had to be 24 seven in the yeah. clinic. So that was the problem. And I wanted to open my clinic. So that teach or, or for me was important that let, let me a lesson to, to, if you're going to go big, you have to be able to go after that demand. Because mm. if not, like when the patient sends you a, a message and they don't get a response for a couple of days, he, he's gone. So yeah. it's like, I think it's a multi, a multi um, disciplinary mm. um, work. I have two or three more um, persons that are going to come in when I open because I need to have more than one people. But yeah. one is like the one that, manage my money and all that stuff mm-hmm. it has to be someone who you trust a lot and and who can have confidentiality with your patient uh from the moment my patient walks into my office um i never talk about what i do if the patient wants to tell the, their friends what she has done or he had done it's his right not mine yeah it's like i am very cautious with the privacy of the patient. So my assistant, I mean, my the person who is working at the clinic, she knows exactly how I work and how I like to work. So um, it's very, um, sometimes a couple of years ago, I used to work in a huge clinic before um, going by my own. And they want me to put everything on a computer program. It was a long time ago. And I said it was an ophthalmic clinic and it was huge, uh, a huge clinic. And I said, I don't want the ophthalmologist to know what my patient done here. I don't want to write down, oh, Botox and all that stuff. And, you know, or even the, the, the assistant who is in the front table, it happened to me once. I, I know the story of my patient. So that is very important. And I have this woman who went to the clinic and she had Botox with me since three or four years ago. And her husband didn't know mm-hmm. she did Botox and she didn't want him to know. So in a surprise, one of the sessions, uh, he goes to the clinic and asks the secretary if the wife was inside. Oh, God. And oh. in that moment... I said, I'm so thankful she doesn't know what I'm doing because if not, she could have done, oh yes, she's doing a Botox session inside. And I was responsible of a, of a problem of my patient and I don't want that. Mm. So I am very cautious with not what I said, but also how, how the information inside the clinic needs to be managed. Yeah, absolutely. So 
You know what I mean? It's very important for me. So by that time, we weren't able to do two separate stories. Um, the he, clinical stories, you know, mm-hmm. the the clinical history. Yeah. So I decided to go my own way. And I and I went by my own because I wasn't going to have my patients' privacy. I did it by hand by them. And if I'm going to have online, I want to be the only one who has access to it or my team, but they have to know how I manage that information. Yeah, it's a training issue, isn't so it? I, yeah. It's a tra- it's very important for me, the privacy. Uh the same as the timing. I if I get an appointment, I'm very on time. My patients know I'm not going to ta- have you three hours waiting on time. It's their time. It's valuable as my time. So I try to be very, sometimes things happen. And sometimes if I go, you know, behind the schedule, I made my assistant to let them know that I'm behind 15 minutes. But maybe you are running, you know, to get to the appointment and I am behind the schedule. And it's um, disrespectful to the patient. Yeah, agreed. So I take my time. Sometimes I prefer to have a little more time by myself and do things that I need to do or write down appointments and not having the full patients outside. My patients usually don't cross each other. One, two, but I don't have like 15 patients waiting outside. But it's my work of working. Yeah. Um, On the topic of business again, you said that, um, you know, many patients respect their privacy and, you, and they maybe don't want their photos out there so how are you going to advertise your business what's the best way in argentina well you can have some um some pictures you know i sometimes put pictures or i sometimes explain uh but here in the small cities usually um uh, patients visit you because they already know how you work and it's more mouth to mouth publicity than in, in Buenos Aires, it's different. I actually started to to put some posts because uh, patients like it. But I am also respectful of the patient privacy. There's a lot of patients who said, I don't want my picture to be posted or I don't want to post. I want an Instagram story. So then you choose how to how to do it. Yeah, it's really common. Same here yeah. in Australia. Mo- yeah. Most people don't want to be on Instagram. Fair enough. <laughs> not, for that, not for that yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so what's the plan for the next sort of 12 to 18 months? Like where, you know, you've got, as you said, new, new practitioners coming on, are you potentially going to look to expand and have other locations? And then, you know, at some point, I'm not there yet, but I think I, I will be very happy to be having my own clinic yeah. and start from there. Um, and then you have to be very careful also because, um, sometimes what happens here, at least I don't know in Australia, but when you train someone, mm. um, I like if I train someone, I would like them to feel that they 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 are going to to go by themselves. Usually, doctors don't want to work for someone. Yeah, yeah. They want to have their own things. That sure. is the nature of the thing. Sure. So, you have to be um, very aware of that when you have people working for you versus sure. people working with you. Sure. And I think that's important. Yeah. Okay. Should we do our quick fire questions? I was going to say, so we normally end the Injector Diaries with a couple of predictable questions. I think you've already told us the answer to the first one. Yeah. What's your favorite toxin and why? Botox. And because that one was the first that I started using it, I've never had a problem. Okay. okay. 
Um, same thing, but for filler, what's your? If, I mean, there's lots of different fillers, and then there's different fillers within. Uh, there's different ranges within that brand. So if you had to choose one, like a single product that you could only use forever, which one would it be, and why? Well, we have to adapt here. So yeah. um, I like a lot mesosthetic, but it's new. So like everything, we have to see the long run. Yeah, it's very new here. Um, like everything that it's new, it's you have to see how it behaves mm. in time. Um, and before that, Allergan too, I like. But it, when you don't have product, you need to choose. It most depends also on what I want to correct and what I have in hand here. W- w- which one in the range? And I'm curious to know What's what is the range, but which one if the of the Allergan range, would you, you've only got one filler choice. Which one is it? Voluma. Voluma. Okay, fair. I think I use it pretty much. Yeah, okay, perfect. A lot of um, That's why. Now, I don't know what cannulas you have in Argentina, but what's your favorite cannula make and size and why? 22G. Yeah. Uh, which I don't find. Sometimes I use 23, mm-hmm. uh, 22 and 50 millimeters. Uh, because what, what make is that? Because sometimes if I, have, I have to do a US-guided injection, which it's very... it's. It, I like the length because it doesn't. I don't get the gel on the cannula, mm-hmm. so it. I like it fifty millimeters more than the thirty-eight. Uh, and which brand of cannula is that? Uh, Stutux. Okay, it's we don't know one that one. Well, that's a new one for us. I heard it. How do you spell that? Stutux. S U T U X. Okay. That's one Sudux. that I get usually. And um, Filmed has another one. Oxa Oxa Pharma has another one. Mm. Okay. That do, you is know, do you know where Sutux is made? Where is it from? Is it, I, I'll look it up. It's the one that we started using, and I'm like, I, I'll I'll show you which one is. Uh, okay. okay. That's okay. We and can then, Google it. I was just Oxa curious. Uh, soft, soft feel. Soft feel. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but we don't have. Sometimes what happens when you have. When you have um, mm-hmm. materials, you need to buy a lot because the other, sometimes they don't get in. Um, I haven't tried the Easty guide though with the cannula. Okay. All right. That's with an Easty guide. But um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you what we have here in Argentina. But you cannot get like a lot of cannulas and a lot of products come with the cannula inside. Mm, but yeah. um, usually they are 25. G25, I don't like it very much because it, the ones that I have tried, like it moves more and I like because of the safety profile more than 22. Okay. Do you aspirate or do you not aspirate? Mm-hmm. Okay, so if... <laughs> One answer, yes or no? <laughs> okay, it depends because um, even if it's, it, it's very controversial, Yeah. if I am with the cannula, I usually move the cannula. Yeah. Even if I'm supraperiosity, I do a lot of, a little bit of movement. Mm-hmm. If I am in the nasolabial fold, I do an ultrasound first and I go with the needle. Even if you have negative aspiration results, I do aspirate because it's something more that I can do. Just in case I do the ultrasound, then I go to the piriform uh, fossa I aspirate, then I inject. What I do is I inject 0.1. I move my needle. I aspirate again, 0.1. And it depends on the product, you know. Um, 
I don't use, for example, I usually use what I can dilute. Okay. So I don't do hydroxypatite, like, you know, because once you put in, it's very hard to come back with the product. Mm. But you, it's, it's so with the ultrasound that the needle moves. Even there's a study that was made in advanced injectors, medial injectors, and beginners injectors. And they all move the tip of the needle and they move it to be able to get into a, an artery. So I don't do more than 0.1 per bolus. Mm-hmm. I move. And if I am with the cannula, I move. Usually I move. If I am with a needle, if you go to a needle, you have to do a bolus. Okay. And so, uh, unless you are doing leaps. So, and sometimes. Leaps, yeah, in summary, kind of, yes. <laughs> so, I, I, I do needles yeah. uh, on the lips. Okay. I have done cannulas, but I've, I feel more precise with the needle. So, it depends where you are. But if I, I do aspirate, something else that brings me information, yeah. and it's not something that it's harming the patient, I will do it. To be honest, that's similar to me, yeah. if I'm completely honest. Um, last question, I think. Um, what's been the best book or course that you've been on? The, what's influenced your practice most? Well, the book, I have to tell, I have read a lot of anatomy books that are very, maybe, if you are starting. I prefer Lee Walker and Dr. Theto, mm-hmm. uh, Injections, Anatomy for Injectors. It's very well explained to start and then you can go more to like cadaveric um courses uh but that's a good that i love that book the the anatomy for injectors of dr lee walker and of course um i would have to say until now because i hope i win the (laughs) the, (laughs) hope i win the swift um injector of course, but until now, Mauricio de Mayo in San Pablo. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I trained him last year, and I think he explains in a way that it's very clear, and and I I like his his way of teaching. And so, for people who don't know the course or Maurizio, we know, but just explain it to people who maybe not heard of him. Like, what, what did you learn, and and what is it? What I like is that uh, I don't use the the milliliters he does. I don't do that much numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I am more conservative, but Mauricio Di Maio was the one, uh, he described the MD codes, which is kind of like um, an alphabetical order to know where the filler is put and with what technique. So when it's a universal language yeah. for fillers, and he have done a very good work explaining not just fillers and why he put it in certain place, but also with neomodulation. Yeah. And he have described and changed, I think, for a lot of physicians how they worked. Because before Mauricio, we used to say, okay, this is bothering you, let's feel it. Feel the nasolabial fold. And Mauricio approached the fillers um, in a different way. He didn't just describe a universal language, but he started um, explaining emotions in the face. Yeah. And 
he explained this concept of being sad and do you want to treat the sadness and not do you want to feel, you know, feel your nasolabial fault. So I think he made a huge change in the industry. Even if you like it or not, how much milliliters he checked, you always learn, you know, and from him and you use, I think, always what he have teach physicians. Couldn't agree more. It's a more. pleasure to listen to him every time. Yeah, if anyone gets a chance, it's 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 a different way of thinking about injecting and, and assessing and talking to a patient. I got one last question. I'm going to add this to, to to our list. You're an IA patron. What what is it, and what have you benefited or not benefited from it? Like, wh- why did you join, and and what have you got from being one of our patrons? I have. A st- I started joining because I love your podcast. I think it's amazing. I have to, all my physicians, colleagues here, I tell them, you need to listen to uh, this podcast because it's very informative. Um, And when I joined, I knew about the Petron. I joined and I love it because you give a lot of information to patients, to physicians or injectors who Petron, you have different kinds of Petrons. Mm. Patrons is the, the word? Yeah. Patron, yeah. Uh, but even even in, in the small one, you get a lot of information, paperwork or courses or um, congresses or conference. And it's what I like, it's the honesty. I mean, there's no bias there. <laughs> so you get the real thing. I mean, if someone really asks you, uh, is this the good or not? And you are you always start connected. I don't know how you keep up with all the messages. <laughs> I don't know how either. <laughs> His family don't know what he looks like. He looks like <laughs> 150 messages and Jake answers like every five message. I'm like, how does he do it? You know, so Superhuman. I don't know how you keep up with, with all the work. It's a lot of work. It's called being a loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. But so, uh, thank you for saying that. It's, it, hopefully we're giving you some value. I'm very informative. And the other, I will give an example. The other day, someone asked about injecting and shake or like five minutes after you have a video of shake injecting with someone to show what we were discussing on the group. So that's very, very uh, important. Well, that was just lucky. <laughs> my patient, I said to my what? patient, um, you know, I've got this question from a colleague. Can I just video your face and they said yes so that won't always happen i'm not promising i won't will be that reactive um, it's interesting actually because no, it's, it's good i mean you're not going to expect someone to do that all the time but yeah. you're always answering i'm like oh my god i don't know how you do it really congratulations because i'm like and sometimes i get lost because of like you have some some conversations that I can't keep up, yeah. but I try. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thank you for that feedback. It's, I, don't, I don't know if you're the cause of this, but the Arthur Swift competition that we're running, we've had so many people from Argentina. I'm not I'm not making that up. There's genuinely yeah. <laughs> lots of people. I, 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 have, I have a call, a lot of, of uh, friends, and I said, please um, look this, and everyone obviously wants to to it's very interesting so but i usually um said to all my colleagues listen to the episodes listen to the podcast it's incredible very informative and you have what is important is not just to have a person in the program but to know to ask the right questions Mm. and you guys have done an amazing job asking the right questions which is difficult it's not 
very easy to do too. <laughs> well, hopefully this podcast was okay because this is completely unscripted. Yeah, <laughs> we called you about an hour ago and said, hey, are you free? And you said yes. <laughs> so hopefully the listeners got something from this. Well, thank you. That's amazing feedback and just amazing to talk to you yeah. and connect properly. And thank you for yeah taking the time and last minute agreeing to chat with us. So <laughs> thank you very much. And it was good getting to meet you. Thank you very much. And I want to, to, to tell something else. Um, you also have um, all the... You have a lot of information like separate for the patrons that that's very informative. It's not just the WhatsApp group. And I don't know if people know about it. Yeah. You okay. Can, well, uh, there are a lot of information besides the WhatsApp group. You know what we what should I do? Miss. We should do a podcast just to explain yeah. the ins and outs of Patreon. I think yeah. that'd be a good idea. Uh, but just, yeah. just to summarize super quickly. Yes, we have three WhatsApp groups. One's kind of general, one's injectables, one's business. So David tends to answer more technical business questions um we run lives so david does the ia business lives i'm starting the ia injectable lives on monday um we have a kind of an online library that we're growing with clinical papers and resources um we've got eight webinars that we recorded previously uh like you just mentioned i throw up hints and tips videos uh pretty frequently now actually and it's just growing yeah so we're just trying to give you guys more and more value and, and create a community that kind of works yeah and how do people find out if they want to become a patron well <laughs> super easy go to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash patreon so p-a-t-r-e-o-n and if you become a patron of ia patreon it's confusing then you get access to all of yeah. that stuff and there's more stuff coming so we've got lots of stuff planned Planned. it's not too far we'll leave it at that yeah (laughs) well thank you again Patricia lovely to meet you Um, enjoy the rest of your day and we'll love to see you out in Australia yes come and see us for a conference or something I would love to see you it's 9.20pm okay well enjoy the rest of your night it's (laughs) that's not too bad Um, great well thank you again we'll we'll connect soon and uh, we really appreciate your time again lovely to talk thank you very much it was an honor for our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside Aesthetics. Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon for more information. 